I would run, you know, 13.1 miles in the morning and then would be blackout drunk by nighttime. And so I would wake up the next day and I was functioning, right? I could still work out. I could still go to work. I could still parent um, questionably, but I could still do it. So when I, you know, when I decided like alcohol is no longer serving me, I'm going down a very bumpy road if I continue this lifestyle. Um, I felt, I thought I would feel better right away. And I felt like complete shit. Like I'd wake up with night sweats. I, my, my sleep was so messed up. Like I just felt like I lost a best friend. Like I didn't feel good in the morning, but my workout routine was something that I was like a, a hard must like you have Jen you have to get up like you have to continue to do the running you have to continue to do the lifting like it just was like almost like the um make your bed effect you know like you get up and you make your bed right like my thing was like I don't care how shitty I feel I don't care if I want to jump into a pool of champagne and just drink the whole thing like I have to still get up and do my workouts Jen is a fitness and nutrition coach, a chief warrant officer too in the U.S. Army, a champion collegiate rower, a bodybuilder competitor, mom, and wife. Through decades of trial and error, Jen learned how to integrate practical fitness and nutrition habits into the craziest stages of life. Jen ran 5Ks with fellow soldiers during combat tours, completed a marathon after her first baby, entered a bodybuilding competition after the loss of her father. She made the difficult decision after 15 years of alcohol abuse to become and stay sober despite popular opinion. She currently has nine months of continued sobriety. Jen learned movement helps people move through emotion. It creates self-help, self-awareness, and self-wellness. Through fitness, growth happens, and not just in your muscles, but in your mind and spirit too. Continue sobriety help provide new clarity to this every layer of this wellness process. Jen's passion for training and coaching is in her blood. When Jen was just 14, her late father, who was a bodybuilding competitor in the 80s, took her to the gym and taught her how to use every single piece of equipment. It's no surprise then that when it came time to get her National Associations of Sports Medicine certification, she studied for just two weeks and passed. She's also part of the Army's Master Fitness Trainer Program, which helps soldiers prepare for physical fitness tests. Through LinkFit, Jen is taking years of training, knowledge, and straight-up hard-learned life lessons and delivering in an easy, maintainable plan. No more struggling alone to create new habits. No more suffering alone in silence. 
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sober is Dope. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan, and I'm extremely excited today to be back with our special episode. Today's episode features Jen Link of Link Fit. And ladies and gentlemen, this is a really cool, laid back and chill episode, but we really cover important topics on grief, early sobriety, mental health, and fitness, and using discipline as a template of success and recovery. The reason why I'm really excited about this episode is this is a first-hand encounter with someone who's really taking their early sobriety to the next level by using discipline, nutrition, and fitness. And this is a really good example of how we could use our recovery creatively and set ourselves up for success for the long run. Ladies and gentlemen, with no further ado, I'm very proud and very excited to bring you guys Jen Link. Please enjoy this cool episode, and I'll catch you guys on the other side. Thank you. Jen, how are you doing today? I am doing amazingly. How are you? I'm doing so great. Thank you for, you know, getting me out, um, getting me on the podcast today. I felt good um, that you reached out and I really wanted your message. Um, you're the first person to really come on in the fit category, fitness. Awesome. Health, so it's so exciting and I'm excited. So I'm doing well today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I, you know, was looking through um, your social media and I was listening to your podcast and it just, seriously saying to my soul I just feel like you're what you're doing is so inspiring um I just am ecstatic to be here and to and speaking with you tonight so I really appreciate it thank you so much so Jen can you tell us a little bit about your sober origin story I know your sober day your sober date is a special date for me is my mother's birthday January 6th so yes. that's such a beautiful day. Tell us about what brought you to that. I know you were dealing with alcohol misuse for about 15 years. So before yeah. we get into the, your background, I want to just really get right into your recovery journey and sober origin story. Yeah, absolutely. So I um, started really heavily drinking in college. Um, alcohol was used in my family for every sort of celebration, sorrow, coping mechanism, um, gathering, it just was always around. Um, I, you know, wish I could say that, you know, I, I got the partying out of my system um, after I graduated college, but it just didn't happen that way. It got worse and worse. And then I chose a profession that the drinking culture is very normal. Um, I also very easily subscribed to the mommy wine culture. Um, 
straight out of out of becoming a new mom. Um, I watched uh, people very close with me uh, struggle with substance abuse issues, which unfortunately ended in um, losing their life. Like it just was so embedded into my family history. You know, my my grandfather um, was an alcoholic. I never met him, um, but I know that you know, that I don't want to say that I have that like alcoholic gene because it's no, there's no such thing, but I have that susceptibility to uh, fall into addictive behaviors. And, you know, I always thought that I was above it all and I was better than it because I've always been an athlete. I've always been very fit. I've always been you know, into nutrition and health, but it was almost like I was living this double life of like, look at all these cool fit athletic things I do during the day. And then happy hour would hit and I would be blackout drunk um, almost every night. And so it got to a point where like, there was such a mental dissonance, like in the space between our ears, which is the scariest place. Sometimes it was just like my soul and my being was going in one direction and my actions and my behavior and my addiction was going in a completely different direction. It just, it was, it really was almost a runaway train. Um, And I just, you know, I, I, for a, a good decade, but more like 15 years would continually try to talk myself off the ledge by myself. Like I didn't reach out. I didn't ask for help. I didn't, you know, I would just, I would give myself like, okay, you're going to have this rule around drinking and you're going to do this when you go out and you're going to not drink for this time. And you're going to do these competitions and you're going to stay sober. And like every single time I hit that goal, I went right back to drinking. And it wasn't just a drink or two, it was like to get blackout drunk. Mm -hmm. Um, And it got to a point where, you know, my kids are getting a little bit older. And there was just this very, like, intense moment where I sat in the shower on a Monday morning. And I was like, the last thing my kids remember me about last night was the smell of alcohol on my breath as I kissed them goodnight. And I was like, I, 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 I'd always heard the voice, like, you know, in my being, in my soul, I'm very much like, you know, the universe speaks to us, generations past speak to us in their own way, you know, and I kept ignoring that voice, like, you need to stop, you need to keep moving forward and not look back. But that morning, I was just like, this is it. Like, I, if I don't take massive action and do something really scary this is going to be my daughter in 20 years sitting in the shower hungover on a monday asking herself if she has a problem and how she's ever going to dig herself out of this hole that's that's amazing and you're right is alcohol is so engraved in our social is a social lubricant 
and it's in everything. And yes. thing is, most of us always say we're not born with the memo that we are allergic to alcohol, right? Right. So for me, I was the same way. I would drink to have a good time, but it was like always this attachment to it. Like I needed to get blackout drunk or I needed to go to the absolute extreme. Mm-hmm. And even times where I was trying to just unwind and be social, it would be so rapid that I'll get there so fast. And it's this thing that, you know, no one really talks to us about, like, what's the warning signs if you are allergic, if you're different from everyone else in the population who could have a normal drink and just say, well, you know, oh, I'm glad I used to see people have a glass of wine and say, oh, I'm good. And I'm like, you good. You're good. Finish the bottle. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's, it's a real brain. It's a brain issue. It's a genetic thing. It's a, it's a life thing for most individuals it's real that that in our brains, right, you and I, and then the other millions of people who suffer from the allergy of alcohol, it's just something that turns on and never turns off once we start. So that's where we have to cut ourselves a break. But like I said, unless we know this, I think if you knew this as a younger person going into life before you drank, if someone said, hey, Jen, you know, you're most likely allergic to alcohol. So if you drink and you don't stop, maybe you shouldn't drink. It's similar to someone who may be allergic to peanuts, right? right it would have been a whole different approach, right? So we didn't get the memo, but I commend you for doing what you did, especially for the kids. Yeah. And um, and how are you doing now? Because the first year is really sensitive and I'm really concerned and I just want to know, I want to do a check-in with you. Yes. How has it been for the first year? Oh my God, I love this question. So it, I am pretty early in my recovery. Um, I am learning so much about myself in terms of the multitude of feelings that I haven't felt for a good 15 years. Right. And I would love to say that it's all good feelings, but it's not. Like I've been suppressing shitty feelings that I haven't really dealt with in a long time. So I would say that this, you know, this year has been, I like to describe it as like life in HD, like nothing is watered down. And that's, that's how it was when I was drinking, you know, it's, I kind of, um, it's similar to like, when you have that last sip of iced coffee, like you knew there was coffee in it at one time, but it's like so watered down. And that's really how my life went. Um, I would, I would numb feelings that I didn't want to feel. And in doing that, I was numbing all the feelings. So that's what I've noticed the most um, this year. So, and just for context, when I decided to get sober, um, I chose the therapy route. So I, yeah, so I, uh, not that I'm opposed to AA or other types of of meetings or group meetings. Um, I chose to get sober uh, two and a half months before a worldwide pandemic broke out. Um, So I didn't even, you know, I know that Zoom is is such an amazing platform to have group meetings. I just, I didn't go that route, um, but I, I did. I did choose therapy and I had been seeing a therapist for several years and it took about two years for me to open up to my therapist and tell her like, Hey, I'm struggling with this thing. And I think it's a real problem. Right. Right. And, and I, and that's important first of all, because, um, I, I, 
I think the therapy part for me was part of the success I, I'm having now. Mm -hmm. Because if I feel like if I just did A, and again, no knock to AA, AA was one of the components that helped save me. But way yeah. before I even got to AA, I was doing therapy and group because I was an inpatient, right? right? So I always talk to people about the importance of therapy. And um, so I'm glad you took that route. So you can continue. I just want you, just wanted to put that out there. Yeah. So, and, you know, therapy really gave me the tools that I need to, because now that I'm feeling feelings, how to deal with them. Like, right. I, I lost my father in 2014. Um, and we were, you know, we were very close. He was my superhero. He was struggling with a silent addiction for you know, over a decade. And um, when I lost him, you would think that that would be the time where like I cleaned my life up, but it, it went in the opposite direction and I started drinking even more. And it makes sense though, because that's the only way I knew how to cope with anything stressful, with anything traumatic. Um, you know, I've been uh, in the military for 14 years. So while, you know, the military does a good job of trying to educate uh, service members on addiction, they don't always do a good job of individually listening to different stories. So we usually just kind of commiserate together around the bottle, right? So um, just dealing with stress and trauma and grief um, all over again this year has been very real um, and very, um, I don't know, very eye-opening for me. Like it. Yes. Yes. So you said, all right. So, well, first, first and foremost, rest in peace to dad and all condolences because Thank that's you. real. My dad was my best friend and he passed away when I was 13. And I'm sorry. Uh, that was just like one of the, that was crazy. He was my hero. So I get it most it's yeah. hard for someone who hasn't been there to say they understand. So I, I'm with you there. That's important to speak about, yeah. right? The, the PTSD related to the combat, the trauma, the exactly. environment. That, and that's always tied to the archetype of the veteran who comes home and he's having a hard time and he hits the bottle when he's dealing with the PTSD and he's like separated from society and some people just don't really pay enough attention there right right and, absolutely and that's absolutely. important and with the sober's dope podcast we love to talk about trauma how it relates to our neuroplasticity our behavior patterns our coping mechanisms our mental health right mm -hmm. um and we give mad props to all the soldiers because without the soldiers we wouldn't have been able to diagnose that form of trauma through ptsd that most of us go through naturally right absolutely yeah real so can you talk to us a little bit about that has ptsd affected affected you maybe vicariously directly did and how did that play into your addiction okay this again you ask really good questions so um i uh married a service member he no longer serves um but has seven combat tours so he um saw a lot of shit and saw a lot of things go down so um you know has ptsd and deals with it on a daily basis because it's not one of those things that like okay, time heals all wounds, like PTSD is almost, it almost gets worse as time goes on if you don't do anything about it. Right. 
Right. So, um, you know, it, it, I, I don't have combat related PTSD, but I am surrounded by people that I love very much who have it. Right. Um, but I will say that, you know, I'll take you back to 2014 when I lost my father, um, I found him. So, you know, we tried, you know, and I, I like to, I would like to, you know, respect him in, in his, in his peaceful place now, but like he went, he was dealing with demons Okay, and he was, you know, he was staying with us and, um, you know, I walked into the guest room and he wasn't breathing. And so, you know, my husband and I tried to revive him and it was too late. And I would say the hardest part of that whole process, that whole event was trying to give CPR to someone who's already passed is a terrifying visual. Right. Like it just, it was just so terrifying and so sad. And, and I deal with that every day. And the only way that I dealt with it up until this year was to get blackout drunk. Right. So, and that's so tough for me. And it, it's this, it, what I learned through that process is that the good thing now, and I just want you to notice in your recovery is that you're processing the emotions in a healthier way, because when you just drink and black out, you do know it, the emotions stay there and they become compounded. And there's, um, there's a new concept out with the doctor, I forget his name, but it's um, the body keeps the score. So when you have unprocessed emotions that get trapped in the body, it, it creates so many problems. So I know it's tough, but it, you know, by dealing with it and sitting with it, sometimes that means just sitting with the uncomfortable feelings, the uncertainty, the sadness and breathing. And eventually you will become this new person because you have, you went through the actual process. Um, so I, I'm with you. I know it's hard. And I'm telling you, they, my dad was there, right? Right in front of me, my hero, 14. It was the worst day of my, and I don't mean to bring this always back to me. I'm just, I want to, I'm sharing this. So, you know, I, I could relate to you. Absolutely. Um, I remember like I was on the phone with my girlfriend. She was breaking up with me because she was going to another school. I was only 13 and and then I heard my mother scream and then I, I we ran into the living room and it was all happening. My dad was having a heart attack and then the ambulance came. So I had to go through the whole process of seeing him trying to resuscitate him, shock him and all of that, why he already, you know, and it was just, he was there. But the thing about it was when I was over my dad and I was pounding on his chest saying, dad, dad, please don't, you know, don't die. He, he grabbed my hand for a split second and say, no, don't do that. Don't, I'm good. Like, you, you good. My dad was a tough guy. So he yeah. had enough love before everything just to give me that last solace. I didn't understand it till later because I was young, but he was just saying like, don't worry. And then long story short, at his funeral, my dad had a gigantic smile on his face, which brought us all of this peace, right? So there's a spiritual side to it where we let go and then we find this beautiful transcending peace on the other side, right? So that's what we have to believe in through faith and everything like that. So I believe my dad's in another place and that was like his parting gift to us. Yeah. To say that I love you kids. I know you young. I know this sucks, but I'm okay. Right. So I hope that brings you some peace because my prayers go out to you with dad and stuff like that. 
thank you so much for sharing that. Like I got goosebumps as you were telling me because, you know, people's fathers and mothers, they pass away and it's just the natural progression of life. But it was so abrupt and this beautiful person left me way too soon. And for you to share that and know what I'm going through and how I, you know, you were, you were young when he passed away. So I'm sure you didn't start drinking until a little bit later, but you understand like he was gone and I dealt with it in like the worst possible way, you know? So thank you so much for sharing. No, no problem. And um, yeah, so now that brings me to the power of bereavement counseling. So one of the things that helped me, and I'm glad I'm getting to you now in your one year, because one of the things that helped me was I had to go through extensive bereavement counseling as a grown man, part of my recovery process. Mm-hmm. I sit with a specialized bereavement counselor, talk about my dad and really go through it. So I'm not sure if you're doing bereavement counseling, but that's something to also look into. And I think a lot of people don't deal with the loss and grief properly so it creates problems and lastly just another nugget is that when we lose someone that create that's a form of trauma and that changes the brain sure i believe that yeah and that creates a specific mental health component it creates depression anxiety bipolar mania anything it runs the gamut Mm -hmm. so i think is right now is a crucial time so um on on a a lighter note you have your sobriety your hearing your coping and you're, um, um, I would like to say your first year, you're kind of like in a honeymoon phase, right? So variety's fun, everything seems exciting and it has its challenges. And then yes. we go through that stage of the wall where things get a little bit more difficult, you start healing, but you're doing all of the healing why you just get, why you're focusing on your fitness and your health and your career. So that's a lot. My first year, I couldn't do anything but eat donuts and drink coffee, right? <laughs> So, you know, so talk to me, I want to talk to you about how fitness helped you on the recovery journey while you're healing. Can we talk about that? Yes. Oh, so I've always been into fitness, like I said, and I think fitness actually was one of the proponents that helped make my decision, even though it was terrifying. Like I said, I, you know, drinking is just part of my life and my family and my culture and everything else. Um, But it was the fitness that was like, I would run, you know, 13.1 miles in the morning and then would be blackout drunk by nighttime. And so I, would wake up the next day and I was functioning, right? I could still work out. I could still go to work. I could still parent um, questionably, but I could still do it. So when I, you know, when I decided like alcohol is no longer serving me, I'm going down a very bumpy road. If I continue this lifestyle, Um, I felt, I thought I would feel better right away And I felt like complete shit. Like I'd wake up with night sweats. I, my, my sleep was so messed up. Like I just felt like I lost a best friend. Like I didn't feel good in the morning, but my workout routine was something that I was like a, a hard 
must like you have Jen you have to get up like you have to continue to do the running you have to continue to do the lifting like it just was like almost like the um make your bed effect you know like you get up and you make your bed like my thing was like I don't care how shitty I feel I don't care if I want to jump into a pool of champagne and just drink the whole thing like I have to still get up and do my workouts. And the other thing I will say is that when you're armed with knowledge, it's there for you to use. And I I, physiologically and wellness wise and um, scientifically, I know what the effects of alcohol are on the body. I know what the effects are on your workouts. I know what the effects are on your hydration, um, on your skin tone. I chose to ignore it for a really, really long time. Um, but in my, you know, non-negotiable waking up and making my bed and working out, I also would remind myself of the knowledge that I had armed myself with, but refused to use for years and years and years. So... Yes. Um, one of my favorite books is of um, All Movement Matters by Katie Bowman. I don't know if you ever heard of Katie Bowman. She's awesome. She's a movement co- um, coach and she has this book where she talks about and, and her, her pop, most popular book is Move Your DNA. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it. This, so what, what I learned and this helps me because I we have a segment on the podcast called um, The Walk in the Park with Pop Buchanan where I actually walk. And um, yeah. and the thing about walking, when you move and you're moving, your D, it helps your DNA, it helps your epigenetics and everything, right? It just moving alone, it, it does so much. And so that's part of my therapy too, taking long walks, the brain, we know the brain really likes space. And this is mm-hmm. a mental health thing and a physical thing, but the brain likes space and nature. So going out in the park and the forest, hiking and stuff like that. So I incorporate that. And um, so if I ever go off track, that's how I get back on track. I say, I got to go for a walk, sit in the sun, get the vitamin D, do my pull-ups, do my running and stuff like that. So I'm, I love that so much. So now your fitness, amongst many things, you're doing fitness and nutrition, nutritional coaching, right? So so how did you decide to get into that? Um, Because I was, like I said, always um, interested in in health and wellness. Um, But I will say that, and it's so, it it is so great that you said you get out and you, you know, move around and, and the brain, the brain likes that every, every hard place I found myself in life. I use fitness to um, help move myself past it. Unfortunately, I had 50 pound weights around my legs because I was drinking. Um, But I think had I not had that that fitness in me, it would have been, I would have been gone a long time ago. Um, whether it be because I took my own life or because alcohol took it. Like, I have no doubt of that. So, you know, I would find running events when I was in Iraq. I ran a half marathon um, while I was serving over there with a bunch of service members. I ran a marathon after I had a baby. Um, I just incredible. Yeah. And I just feel like, I feel like, you know, if, if it helped me so much, I have to, I have to assume that there are other people that 
this could help, right? Like, I don't believe, I, in fact, I, I, the word die is in diet. Like, I don't believe in like fad diets. I don't believe in pills, potions, any of that. I don't believe that we're meant to be on this earth to like count calories and dollars until we die. Like, right. I, you know, I don't, I don't promote any of that. But what I do promote is building those habits that serve you. And one of those habits is what you put into your body. What do you put into your, your mind? What do you put into your soul? And like, that's another reason that I just knew that after so many years, I was, I was being a damn hypocrite. I was like, look at all these healthy things I'm doing and then undoing them every time I drank. And I, I would find any occasion to drink. I would say, look, there are organic grapes and organic wine. It's healthy. I can yeah, right, drink right. the whole bottle. You know, right. I, I run the half marathons and who cares if the beer truck is at the finish line? It's how it's healthy. It's running. Right. And it's just, it's not. And it's not. now and that I have that fault. clarity. Yeah. And it's not your fault because special interest, like the wine studies, the, the studies that said resveratrol was healthy, the, the, the component of wine, that was funded by wine companies. And the same yep. thing happens with cigarette companies and the same thing happens with sugar companies. Yep. It's, they hire their own erroneous scientists and they yep. publish these expensive, have, you know, scientific articles that sway the opinion in their favor through special interest. So when mm -hmm. someone tells me, there's health benefits in wine. The first thing I say to them is that there's health benefits in the grapes, but those health benefits are canceled through the alcohol within the wine. So Correct. it cancels itself out. There's no yeah. health benefits. The only thing you're experiencing is a perceived placebo right. in the wine. Is yes. no health benefits, and I don't buy it. And what, now again, now that once we, um, you know, once we have that knowledge we're able to make better decisions, right? So um, yeah. I used to do say that a lot. Oh, I'm, you, I'm talking about, I drank so much wine thinking it was healthy. My teeth were yeah. red. My teeth was purple and right. red. Yeah. You know, it was terrible. So my thing is, ladies and gentlemen, we're putting a disclaimer out there. There is no health benefits to, and not even in moderation. They like to say about no. blood pressure and stuff in moderation. Nope. First of all, alcohol is a depressant. It attacks your nervous system. It creates a mental health component. It makes you sad. It dehydrates you. It's, it's just, that's just a few things. There's nothing good there. So, um, yeah, so I'm like you too. I was always into health and nutrition. And um, recently I come across this amazing doctor. I don't know if you ever heard of him, Dr. Michael Greger. He put out a book called How Not to Die and How Not to Diet, where he talks about the scientific benefits of a plant-based diet. Yes. Tell me your experiences from a nutrition perspective and how that helped your recovery as far as the nutrition and the plant-based side. Yeah, absolutely. So my, uh, I am certified through NASM, National Academy of Sports Medicine on awesome. nutrition coaching and, um, you know, personal training. And I will say that there is, so there is scientific evidence that plant-based diets do help with things like cancer, right. uh, heart disease, right. obesity. Um, so, and it's not just, this isn't just, you know, bro science or, you know, <laughs> social media science. This Correct. is actual like controlled studies that have, you know, uh, moderate to strong evidence that plant-based really does uh, add a 
like molecular level uh, help individuals combat some of these diseases. And I would say from my experience, um, the number one inflaming substance you can put into your body is sugar. And alcohol is its own um, element. We don't, we're not even going to call it a nutrient because it's not, it's a toxin. Um, If you're, if you are familiar with macronutrients, it's, it's not a carb, it's not a fat, it's not a protein, it's its own uh, thing. It has what, seven calories per gram. So, um, you know, those beers that say they only have two carbs. No, that's, that's BS. Um, but it breaks down into your system, uh, similar to like a complex sugar. So it's inflammatory and it, you can feel it, especially if you're on a bender. I mean, other than your, the damage to your liver, you could feel it in your guts. So, when you're when you remove that after a while after the dependency wears off you start to feel better and then when you remove you know the regular sugars you feel even better and then you know when we eat meat and i'm not knocking it you know there is its place and people eat it and i do eat it on occasion but a lot of it isn't the healthiest or it's processed and it's it causes just as much inflammation so right adhering to more plant-based, uh, choosing to do more organic fruits and vegetables. Right. There really is, yes, yes, uh, <laughs> organic is definitely dope. There is scientific evidence, right. not what you read in a magazine by a blogger or you know what you saw on Insta or Facebook by the influencer. There is scientific evidence that plant-based nutrition helps with inflammation and inflammation causes, you know, your cells to, um, to react negatively. Correct. And that's where diseases start in your cells. It starts in your cells. So to tell us about your discipline and the importance of discipline. Uh, I, yeah, my dad cultivated that discipline in me. He was a competitive bodybuilder in the 1980s. Uh, when I picked up rowing my freshman year of high school, He took me to the local gym. He taught me how to use every single piece of equipment in the gym. He taught me the core lifts. He taught me how, um, what dedication really is to, to sport. Um, I, you know, continued on in college rowing, um, despite heavy drinking, got up, you know, every day to practice. Uh, we were invited to row internationally my senior year of college and compete over in England. And, you know, it translated to the military, like you get up, you get up when you're told to get up, you make your bed, you, you know, you work out, you do the physical conditioning. And I just, it, it always stuck with me. And even now, you know, I, it's been years, years since dad passed away, I could still kind of hear him in the gym, like counting those sets and reps with me. So that's really where it started. Um, And I, you know, like I said, I really, really, um, really fit in into the fitness and training space. I think that especially in a world where it's so easy to compare ourselves to what we see on social media platforms, it's hard, even now, 
that I'm going to be 37, mother of two, it's, it can be hard to feel where you fit in or where you belong. And like through my life and through my struggles and ups and downs, and I always gravitated to not just uh, sports, but like outside sports, lifting heavy, like just always kind of gravitated to using fitness and and training as a form of meditation nice that's where my discipline comes from yeah wow so training and lifting as a form of meditation creating Mm -hmm. a focal point mindfulness right that's Mm -hmm. like mindful because you have to pay attention you have to pay attention you have to work on your breathing right you have to count right often in nature i i've especially with pandemic have taken the weights out in the backyard so but typically you know but you're still counting and you're still even if you're trying to drown it out and i did for so many years um you can always go back to i always went back to the training aspect and i really think it saved me it saved you what yeah same thing here i mean oh my god i just thought about that the importance of using the mindfulness the meditation in the fitness process mm-hmm. you should write a book about that <laughs> that's so cool so well i mean you're doing so much and i mean uh, do you tell so what do you do for fun to unwind because we have to balance it all out if we just stay on a hundred and stuff we'll go nuts so what do you do to unwind and just to really bring it home and to calm down and relax yeah, I love, this might, might sound stupid, but like, uh, you can find me in a bathtub with some bath bombs reading a good book. I've read one, two, three, four, five, like 50 books, you know, in in this time space this year, because right, I had to find something. I can't work out all the time. Right. Um, I do have two children. So another hobby is to raise, you know contributing members of society um but i've read everything from self-help to um uh biographies to uh nutrition to everything any book uh, cool cool any book that comes to mind that you recommend to the community um so i just read and I read a couple pieces by Brene Brown and it's Dare to Lead and it really is almost the heart of what you're talking about like I think there's a lot of vulnerability in in what you do and opening up and putting your ego aside and you're you're in a way you're like leading this movement for the purpose of not only letting yourself be seen, but also giving people the space to be seen um, in a topic that actually has a lot of shame around it um, for people in in early recovery like myself, but for people who are in denial that we communicate with every day. So Brene Brown, um, Dare to Lead is a a great book and I got a lot from it. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. And you are the creator of the experiment. And what is that? Can you tell us a little bit about it? It's it's very new. Um, The experiment is something that I created that gives people a very safe space that are either curious about sobriety or curious about their mindfulness around drinking or 
you know, I can't tell you how many times in my 15 year struggle, I would Google like, what's an alcoholic? Do I have a problem? And I'm not, I, I don't want to pick, you know, I don't want to message people and be like, Hey, if you think you have a problem, join this 21 day experiment. But it is a very safe space for people who are curious about getting sober to get mindful around what they're putting into their body, how they feel when they're putting things, certain things into their body, like plant-based, like drinking, um, how they feel when they get out in nature, what movement feels like, because I think that there is a space where I fit in that can help people see um, how movement can help and how taking some time to really see what their healthy and unhealthy habits are and how they feel about them could push them in the direction to stop drinking. I really wish someone 10 years ago would have sat me down and been like, let's just do this experiment. I'm going to sit with you and do it with, you know, walk you through it. I'm going to have this conversation with you where we can talk in, in confidence and help you see what the choices you're making is doing to your, your mind and your body and your soul. I love that so much because it gives people an option. It gives them a time frame is safe. And I, I mean, I remember trying to do this on my own, right? Yeah. And it would have been different if I was approached by would have some help and someone else. And I would go, I would be, it would work. I would do so well within the 30 days. I'll be new. I'll exercise in one bad night, which has set me all the way back. Yeah. And and one of my biggest missions is to break the stigma of relapse, right? And yes. because so many people either die between rock bottoms, like I call it yeah. the between those rock bottoms or relapse points because of the shame. And yeah. I like to tell people, look, relapse is part of the process. It yeah. doesn't give you an excuse to say, well, relapse is part of the process, so let me go get wasted. And that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. What we're talking about is that if the inevitable, if it happens, the time frame you sit there feeling terrible, feeling ashamed and then feeding off of that and continuing until so the world tells you you have to hit this destination point this new destination point of rock bottom i'm like wait a minute too many yeah. people are dying now we don't have the benefit of telling people oh wait till you hit rock no we have to say no it's okay you relapse now let's get right how to get right back yeah on track right. absolutely my problem the shame and a lot of that shame came from people's reaction to my relapse so the, it goes, it, breaking the stigma goes both ways and teaching the people around us how to deal with someone. And look, I'm in recovery and I'm, and I'm the, the host of the Sober's Dope podcast. And sometimes I really struggle in my own family and with my own friends when they struggle. And I'm, I'm not afraid to say that because I get mm -hmm. really uncomfortable around someone now if they're drunk. I get really uneasy. I get clammy and I don't have the social skills they're not perfected yet to just be like, oh, you're having a bad day and I'm totally understand. It's not that cut and dry. I still get like, oh, how are we going to fix this? Uh, and I have to catch myself. So even me, the guy who's running, you know, I'm, I have this podcast. People might think, well, you know, I'm still might give you a hard time. And then I still have to catch myself and I still have to say, well, let's get a plan. But the goal is, is to kind of just beat it home and say, look, guys, look, we could fight this. We could get back on track, right? Yeah. That's not, so that's important. And um, 
Uh, and, and just in, even in your case, you know, uh, being new, yeah. uh, just be patient with yourself because that's the number one thing. Yeah. I don't know if anyone told you this also, it's okay to say no, cause you're gonna, you know, it's okay to not be available for everyone. It's okay to be a little selfish if you have to with your own self care and time. Yeah. It's okay to say, I'm not doing nothing this month for laying around and sleeping. If, if that's what you need, I don't want you to, because sometimes the sober person becomes a superhero and we feel like we got to be strong for everyone when we're still healing. Right. Right. Yeah. So please just, you know, put just to put that for anyone out there who's new in early recovery, right? This is for everyone in early recovery and even people who have 20 years under your belt. If you're in recovery, you got to take a chill pill, take a chill pill, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that it's so great that you just said that because I get, a lot of like, oh, you can't moderate. You didn't seem like you had a problem. And it's like, no, if I, if I could, if I could moderate, I've been trying to for 15 years, I would just do that. I would moderate. Right. Um, you know, and I, I am in early recovery. Um, but I, I'll tell you, I tried so many times. I, so many times I tried to shove that square peg into that round hole and I would mm. like I said put rules and and you know I would try to moderate and I, I would stop for a while and every single time I picked up a bottle it came back with such a vengeance and I you know I saw something um you know because everyone's rock bottom is different and it goes down pretty far before yeah you know, the point of no return, death. Like I've been in legal trouble. I've woken up in random houses. I've put myself in very precarious situations. And like it, your bottom can go lower and lower and lower each time you say like, I still have further to go, like, or I don't have further to go, you find it. And so for me, I just, this, what, like I said, like, yes, fitness really pushed me in the direction, but I also feel like I really put out a blazing kitchen fire before the whole house went up in flames because I, I know, I, I know that. that I was, I was heading in, in one direction and we both know how it, that ends. So. Yes. And I commend you for that. Thank you so much for your story, for your courage, for sharing. Um, it took me almost seven years before I even was able to share my story. The Sober wow. podcast is a year and a half old because I wasn't ready until I got to about my sixth year to start telling my story. So the courage coming out early and talking about this publicly is going to help so many people. And I, I really, really, really thank you so much. And um, so can you let everyone know where they could find you and your master training program and your, um, your link fit program? Yes. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram, um, link fit, L I N C K F I T underscore 1111. Um, cause I do believe in synchronicity. I'm on Facebook, um, Jen link, and I have a website, www.linkfit.com. So I'm out there. Um, I, you know, I'm relatively, um, I have a relatively small reach on reach on social media, but I really am glad for that because I, I finally, after years of, 
of the fitness after bodybuilding competitions, aesthetic competitions, everything. Like I finally am understanding like why I've been put on this planet. Um, and so I'm ready. And I, I just, I know that there are people who have a very similar story that I do that I can help. And that's really all I want to do. And you're going to do it. I'm telling you, you're a star. I'm, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Jen is like reading her bio. And when you get the full picture of who we are interviewing, this lady is accomplished. She did more in her 36 years than most people did in their lives. And um, thank you for serving for our country, first and foremost. Thank you. That, that means so much to me. And I just love what you're doing. And I think that you're going to get hit it big. I think the whole world needs to hear it. Um, link up with Rich Roll if you can. He's into marathon. And I mean, you have you ever heard of Rich Roll? The, uh, yes. There you go. See, yes. I, I think you and Richard hit it off <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and um, um, finding Ultra and all of that. Yes. But before I go, I definitely can't go without talking about 11-11 with you. Like when oh, I go, yes. I said, come on. That is so, I mean, I'm going 20 years back with 11 yeah. So Laura on the book 11 and the whole movement of synchronicity. I mean, I loved it when I saw it. Yeah. How did you come to know about the 11 and synchronicity? I, I am very much uh, a believer that the universe uh, sends us messages. Right. Um, and I don't mean to sound woo-woo, but I just, I, I have uh, a very strong belief that, um, that the universe speaks to us. Um, right. God uses the universe to send us messages. Uh, there is science and physics behind our number system. Right. Um, God is not stupid. He uses them very meticulously. Right. Um, 1111 is a, I see it. I'm telling you, I see it sometimes five times a day, not just on the clock, mm -hmm. but you know, I use a, a food scale. The food scale says 1111. When I pump gas, it says 11.11. Like I always see it. And I, I am a firm believer that when you find these messages and when you pay attention to the messages that God is sending, sending you, that you are going in the right direction. And this year in particular, um, after January 6th, I, I have seen 11-11 every single day. And that's a confirmation that you're right on track. Um, another thing the 1111 talks about is the activation point. There's a point of recognition, intention point, activating and put setting an intention for what you want um, in that time slot. So I'm so excited because I mean, way before it became popular, I actually read the books about it. And I was yeah. going back a long time ago, man. And to see that it travels so far into the future, like before I used to say 1111, be like, what is God talking about? <laughs> But it was big, it was a big movement of based on the astrology period. Mm -hmm. It's the points on the planet, the, the astrology and everything. So I was I'm very excited to hear that. Before we go, your podcast live with um live with LinkFit. Yeah, it's live with LinkFit. Also, <laughs> also very much in its infancy. I am it's not as it it's not just sobriety, it's also yeah wellness it's everything through the lens of modern day america what we're dealing with right. uh we're dealing with a lot of shit you know that we don't always talk about like 
Um, how are we gonna how are we gonna telework with two kids? Like my kids are still virtual learning. Right. Both my husband and I are back to work. All these things we talk about because these things are the things that when we don't talk about, we try to solve on our own, which is almost impossible because we're not meant to do anything alone on this planet, or two, turn to uh, sometimes unhealthy coping mechanisms like drugs and alcohol. So I want to, I want Live with LinkFit to be a platform that we can talk about all things wellness, um, how we can live our fullest potential, what are some roadblocks that get us to this potential, and how we can, I'll use a military term, how we can war game our best healthy habits so that we're armed when these situations arise. I love that so much. I love that so much. Jen Link, you are a superstar. Thank you for being part of the Sober is Dope experience. You really blessed us today. I would love to have you on again. Um, you will be, you could be like our in-house fitness person. I love it. Oh, um, yes. Accepted. Um, before I go, without being political, any message you could send to the world, to the country right now, approaching the election with the pandemic, is there any, as a military personnel, is there anything you could say to us out there to put people at ease, or at least give us some motivation? I would, I will use a Brene Brown. People are people are people. And we all have our own opinions. And it is okay to disagree. What it is not okay is to do is to fuel the flames of um, aggression or uh, conflict with drugs and alcohol. So keep an open mind, have open-minded dis discussions, uh, agree to disagree, and remember that people are people are people. And the other thing I would say is hurt people hurt people. So really take that time to check yourself and just um, give yourself grace and extend that grace to others, really, truly. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it from the best, Jen Link on the Sober as Dope podcast. That's a wrap for our amazing episode on fitness, sobriety, love, and 1111. I'm Pop Buchanan, your host. I love you all, and we will catch you on the other side. Thank you.